Well, thanks for being here. Um, and I'll uh, spend a few minutes talking to you this morning. I don't, I don't need to give you any more information about what's happening in our world. It's, uh, it's remarkable and, and, and terrible uh, that a virus that's long been predicted that, that we would have a pandemic has actually happened and come to pass. And uh, almost everyone that I know, probably everybody I know, uh, is affected in one way or another because our world is connected uh, in ways that never in the history of the planet has been connected like this. So what's going on in every part of the country uh, is affecting us. And this uh, coronavirus and uh, all of the fallout uh, is a trial for everyone, believers, non-believers, people from other religions, people that have no religions. Everyone is being affected to some degree or another. And uh, the church has never shied away from um, trying to reach into the troubled parts of our world. That's when we're at our best, when we're weak and unable to do anything else. We don't have millions of dollars and we don't have all the power of government and all those types of things, but just our, our, our daily communion with other people and sharing our love with them and our kindness. And uh, uh, if you're at the grocery store, a smile or a helpful uh, hand, um, that's what the world is looking for and longing for. And I hope that, uh, that people of Christ the King will step up and do that. And I know you will. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what uh, providentially we've been in the book of James. And I, I, I didn't know that any of this was going to happen when we started the book of James, but that's where we've been. And I thought it would be helpful just to bring us all back to the, to the reality that there are trials in life that affect everyone. And James has some profound things to say about that. And I'm going to just kind of catch us all up together. Those of you that have been with us uh, will get caught up. And and we'll go through this now in light of a present trial that is affecting everyone. And so if you have your Bible, open it to James uh, chapter 1, and I'll read it. Uh, We don't have it printed in that, that handout that we mailed, but... Hopefully you have a Bible or a phone. If you have your phone, there's tremendous apps that you can look up uh, these verses in your Bible. But I'll read just the first uh, eight verses. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven, tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. So when you're thinking about the book of James, uh, very quickly, remember, this book was written, we believe, by the brother of our Lord Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, and that uh, it was written very early in the life of the church. And James says that he wrote to those who are in dispersion, to the 12 tribes in dispersion. So these are probably... um, Believing Jews that had embraced uh, the news of the Messiah in faraway places. And we know that within very few years, the gospel has spread throughout the Mediterranean basin and into much of Asia. Uh, when Paul was on his journeys, he found people already that were out there and, and had been baptized under John's baptism and the announcement that Messiah was coming. And so, uh we seem to think that people didn't get news, but the Roman, the Pax Romana, the peace that Rome had established and the roads and highways, uh, they had an amazing network for that time of getting information out. And so the gospel had spread and people uh, in the Jewish community and the remnant community of Israel had heard about Jesus in many of these places. And so James is writing a letter to them, but the letter is not like uh, the letters of the Apostle Paul or even some of the other letters we see in the in the New Testament. It's very unique. It's utterly unique uh, with respect to its, its form and shape. And that is uh, that it's not a, a letter where he's just going through thematically a bunch of things that are tightly connected like the Apostle Paul. Instead, it it more resembles the book of Proverbs. There are aphorisms and exhortations and and commands, and and sometimes he's not really talking to the audience. He's being rhetorical or bringing imaginary people into his conversation. It's absolutely fascinating. If you read it like that, you'll get a tremendous amount out of it. Uh, If you let James be James in his own genre of literature and not try to compare him to Paul or anybody else, if you're going to compare him, uh, compare him to uh, the book of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or even some of the uh, apocryphal books of the Old Testament uh, and other Jewish literature, even some other ancient Near East literature, followed this form, uh, uh, what one scholar called uh, uh, encyclical paranesis. <laughs> That's a good one, right? Write that down so you can impress your friends. Look what I learned at church. Encyclical paranesis. It's, it's a letter of instruction of how we're to behave in the world around us as we wait for Messiah to come back. Uh, it's that old thing we talk about all the time at church, already not yet. Jesus came, established the messianic kingdom, gave the keys of that kingdom to the church, uh, and and then he left and let the church go out into the world to spread the good news of the king that had come and established the kingdom, and then he will return at some time in the future. We don't know when. It could be Tomorrow, it could be in the middle of this. Maybe that would be a good thing. Let's get us out of here. Uh, But it it may be two million years from now, whatever it is. Be patient, trust him, uh, and don't give up on your faith. And so James is telling uh, this community, and, and how relevant is it now, that 
we are in a world that is broken, that we're here to help fix that world, not to escape, but to dig in and help and serve the people around us, to even put ourselves at risk, if necessary, for the sake of others, to sacrifice our lives for the sake of not only the people in our immediate sphere of influence, but even others. And so as you go out into El Paso and other places or to your work, if you're still working, uh, don't be afraid. Trust the Lord. Don't be stupid. I mean, you know, wear a mask, wear gloves, take hand sanitizer, uh, whatever you have to do. Uh, But we are to be light and salt in the world around us. And James is telling this group of people that You're in dispersion. Yeah, we've been in dispersion for a long time. Uh, Their history is one, uh, Israel's history is one of constantly getting into trouble. And uh, God, you know, disciplines them and then brings them back and disciplines and brings them back. And even though they were in the land at this time, many were not. They had uh, been sent away in the exile and were still there and were never going to come back. They had made their home in other places and were there for the duration. Uh, And we're awaiting Messiah, just like we're doing today. We're all the people of God who are believing uh, in the return of Jesus. And so James is writing to those people. And then he says this, which is where we really get, I think, sideways. And I want to make, again, reiterate what he's talking about. He says right out of the gate, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, when we read that, we don't hear what he says. We hear, and I get almost 100% of people here count it all joy. They think he's saying, be joyful in the midst of your trials. And uh, you're sometimes suffering accompanies trials. Sometimes it doesn't. But we hear it as James saying, count it all joy. Uh, we hear him say, be joyful, act joyful, feel joyful. And that isn't what he's saying at all. And it's unfair to put words in his mouth and say, well, he wants us to be joyful when the world is staggering under the weight of something like a coronavirus and massive unemployment and fear and all the rest to to tell people, oh, he just wants you to go about joyfully is uh, a, a misrepresentation of not only what James says, but what the entire Bible says. You don't see Job being joyful. We don't even see our Lord Jesus being joyful as he goes into the garden of Gethsemane. He is crushed in the garden of Gethsemane. And that was only the beginning. And what we hear from him is honest grief and lament at the reality of the trial that is about to uh, over overtake him and crush him. He came victorious, but it's because he did what his brother said. He persevered. He stuck with it. He didn't give in, and he didn't accuse God of having done anything wrong. And James will go on later. We'll look at that in a few weeks, talking about how when we're tested, we're not to say, God is the one testing me. No, we're tested because tests happen. And what is really being tested? James says here, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know, listen, this is what he's saying. I'm not making this up. 
you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You're not even being tested. I'm not even being tested. The test that James is talking about, the kind of testing that he's talking about, is when circumstances in this world, in this life, come into conflict with our faith, what we believe. And I can't tell you how many times I have had people who have been hurt and wounded in their life by whatever crushes them. And immediately there's this impulse to strike out and say, why would God let this happen? Why did he allow that? Why did he do this? And we're missing the entire point when we do that. We, we're, we're getting so far afield that we will not be able to find the answer to those questions because we're looking for it in the wrong place. We're looking to see if God somehow had, had, had destroyed us or was trying to tempt us or test us. And the test that James is talking about is not, uh, it's a maliciousness that comes along. When he talks about it later, it's, it's sin that is bringing your faith into question in your relationship with God. And if you understand that, it's your faith that's being tested, not you. And what God is asking, this is all he's asking, folks, is will you trust me? Will you trust me? Are you going to trust me or not? Are you going to accuse me or are you going to trust me? You don't know everything. In fact, we know so little that it's frightening sometimes. But what we do know, we're to latch on to with all our heart and not let go. Just by grit and not let go. And so he's telling us the testing of our faith will produce steadfastness, that we can hold on and remain steadfast. We're living in tension. We see the continuity of, of trials that every, every kind of person has had trials, especially the people of God. They want to, uh, one, one, uh, uh, Bible teacher said when a one when a Christian when a, a unbeliever gets cancer a Christian gets cancer so that you can tell the difference. Somebody, I mean I don't like to hear that, but that is the truth. We all suffer. Question is, are you going to go through that suffering with Jesus Christ at your side, or are you going to go through it alone? You're going to go through it either way. Is it you that's being tested, or is it your faith? And I would suggest, based on what James is saying, that the test is, are you going to trust me? The test is, our faith is being put in tension with circumstances. Our expectations are not being met, whatever those are. And before you start doubting God, why not doubt your expectations? Maybe your expectations are wrong. And I would I would venture to guess they are. Sometimes we have a Pollyanna view of what life is supposed to be like. And as I, I went to Walmart yesterday, and as I was walking through Walmart, I looked at my cart, and it was full of good stuff. How, how do we even have the nerve to accuse God of anything, especially in this country? where We're we're. we're we're sick with affluenza 
as many authors have said. We're, we're sick with it. We've got so much. But immediately something bad happens. Hey, we're ready to go blame God. It's got to be his fault. I mean, after all, no, it's not his fault. And the, the testing is of our faith. Look what he says. It will produce steadfastness if you hang in and let steadfastness have its full effect. He's saying, don't give up. Just hang on for and and what will happen is you will you will become mature and you will lack nothing. That's amazing. Stay with it, and the promise is rich and full. Give up and you're in trouble. Now he does say, if any of you lack wisdom, ask. And what you need in a trial more than anything else, my friends, is you've got to have wisdom because it's easy to take missteps, make mistakes, get into a pity party, feeling, oh, my goodness, you know, uh, poor me, not helpful, not going to do you any good. You can lament. You can grieve. In fact, I'm, I fully embrace grief and sadness during these times of trial. But to start running away from God instead of running to him to, to, to make accusations and not to embrace wisdom is a fool's errand and it will cost you. So he says, ask why? Because God is rich. Let him ask in faith, not doubting for the person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord because the Lord is one who will give you. Don't doubt him, run to him because he will give look at verse five he will give generous he's going to give to giving god he's a generous he gives to all that means everyone without reproach he's not going to be stingy or holding back if you ask for wisdom you'll get it and notice he doesn't say pray for relief from the trial no pray for wisdom so that you can endure the trial and what are you basing your faith on anyway? Is it how good your willpower is, how strong your willpower is, or is it something else outside of you? I would suggest that you think deeply about what are you believing in? What are you trusting? And what he says here is let him ask in faith with no doubting. What is it that you're doubting? Are you doubting God? Well, then you don't have God. But I think what we doubt is our own faith and our own perseverance and our own ability to just hang on instead of focusing. Or maybe a better uh, way to imagine it is that you have uh, in a boat, and it's windy, stormy, that's what he's saying. You're in a boat, and you have this, uh, this anchor of faith. And you're going to throw it to something. What is it that you're going to anchor yourself to? Are you going to anchor yourself to God Almighty, who has promised to give you wisdom, who gives generously, without reproach, who gives to all? Are you going to anchor your faith in that? Or are you going to anchor your faith in how strong you are? and how able you are to hold on. Uh, the, the bumper sticker theology we talk about all the time. When you get to the end of your rope, uh, tie a knot and hang on. That isn't faith. That's not even perseverance. That's self-reliance. I can hold this rope 
I'll hold on. I can do it. And that's not what James is saying. He's saying, look, throw your faith to the one who is faithful. Trust him. That way it doesn't matter how much faith you have. In fact, you probably don't have enough. <laughs> if you're like me, you haven't got enough. And what little bit you have is probably not the greatest quality of faith. But when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, that little bit of faith that's not so great, it's just kind of there, and you know, it's, and maybe sometimes it's mixed up with doubt and other things. But when you put your faith in Jesus, your faith takes on the character and the strength of what it's attached to. And James and other writers in the, in the Bible said, once you have that anchor of your soul, the writer of Hebrews said, the anchor of our soul is Jesus. Once you have that, the wind and the waves, the trial is not going to be able to separate you because it's not about the trial. The trial is testing your faith in the one who is faithful and will not let you go. And that's all he's asking, folks, is that we trust him. When we look at Jesus and we look at how he went into his trial in Gethsemane, and really his whole life, but at that moment, he went into that trial in utter weakness. He could have commanded angels. He could have roused his uh, followers. They could have done a million things. But instead, he actually laid down his life. He persevered. He trusted. And then in the end, he was abandoned. And at the end of the end, he was dead. And then at the end of the end of the end, he went into a grave and was buried. But he persevered. Not so that we would not have to go through trials or tests, but so that we could. And so we could count it all joy knowing that even as we weep and lament and cry over the trial, that there's a foundation of joy underneath, knowing that if we will trust him, all that is lost to us now in the trial will be returned to us in the resurrection from the dead. And how do we know? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Whatever punishment was due us, he took it on the cross so that we could live free like this in joy, knowing that the only thing that we could never have gotten rid of, our separation from God has been restored. Now we can endure anything because we have a Savior seated on a throne who loves us and only asks, will you trust me? And so... Uh, that's the question, folks. Will you trust him? We're going through a terrible trial. Things are messed up in the world right now. I don't know what. It changes every day. But as one friend of mine says, everything has changed, but nothing has changed. And so nothing's changed. Jesus is still in love with his people and is present with us in this terrible time. So let's end with that, and let's take a few minutes, and I'm going to pray uh, for all of us and for our country and for the world. We do uh, in our church each Sunday uh, the prayers of the people, but I'm not going to do it quite as long uh, and more general. Uh, 
But let's take a minute and, and pray uh, for us to be faithful. And as we do, pray for those that you know uh, who are suffering. Uh, my my son was laid off from his job. Uh, he's on furlough and, and uh, with two little grandkids. Which I'm going to kidnap them pretty soon. <laughs> but uh, uh, a lot of hard times ahead, folks. Don't be afraid. Let's stick together, help each other, sacrifice for one another. So let's go to the Lord and ask him to strengthen us. Father, we do love you and thank you for all your kindnesses and mercy to us. And we know that our world is going through a terrible trial right now, and everybody's going to have to go through it. Some will have you at their side. Others are going to uh, find the way empty for them. And I pray that you'll open their hearts so that they will turn and ask some questions. Maybe they'll ask questions of uh, those in this church, uh, you know, how to have, how are, how are you having hope? How are you coping with uh, this, this terrible tragedy that's afflicting our world? Um, and we'll be happy to tell them uh, that it's because we have joy that is underlying our sadness and our sorrow and our loss and our grief, knowing that our Savior went through that for us and as us, not so we wouldn't have to, but so we could with strength and confidence. We pray, Father, for our government. It seems very mixed up. We pray that they will do what is right and just and equitable for all. We're very grateful that you have uh, people in hospitals and in state governments and local governments who are acting responsibly, and we pray that we will follow their directives and do as they say. Keep us from cynicism. Keep us from doubt. Have us trust you, Father. We pray for those with the uh, terrible symptoms and disease. We've lost several thousand people in our own country now and tens of thousands around the world. God, have mercy on their souls. God, we pray that you would stretch out your hand of kindness and goodness to their families. And we ask that through these tragedies, you will open the eyes of the blind and let them see their need for the king and his kingdom and to seek him and his righteousness. And we pray that you will do that. We ask that you will fill the elders and deacons and women's council of our church with wisdom and strength as they endeavor to reach out into the community and do some amazing things with people and helping and sharing and extending love and hope. And I pray, Father, that uh, in your divine providence, you will strengthen the church to shine as a light, as maybe hasn't happened in this generation yet. And we pray that you will do that for Christ's sake and for his name's sake. We pray these things to Jesus and to you, Father, and to the Holy Spirit, Holy Trinity. Have mercy upon us and grant us your grace and peace. Amen.